Greetings, episode 79. I'm your host, and with me is our regular host, Jackson. Hello, hello, movies. And Destiny. Movies. Uh, it's time for everyone to tell me what you've done the last two weeks, movie-wise. Nothing. What do you what do you expect from me? Movies. Now more than ever. <laughs> now more than ever. But don't expect <laughs> to like them. Now we get to leave. Uh, All right, everyone go home. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Send me your no, flags. I'm... I'll edit this together. It'll be the shortest podcast ever made. I've watched the two the two movies for the podcast we're doing, and other than that, I've been gaming. Destiny, you gotta save me. I watched a movie. I watched 1966's Night Games, directed by Mai Zetterling. Um, she was an actress who became a director, and Criterion has a bunch of her movies, and they're all like transgressive. Uh, they remind me of Bergman movies, but only because they're Swedish and they're black and white, and she used a lot of his actors. Um, but this one has, it's it's about this, uh, it's hard to talk about, but it's about this guy who's about to get married to this woman for some reason. I don't know why they, they are awful to each other. Uh, he's mostly really awful to her. And... Uh, he flashes back, like he walks, he's showing her his old house and it's this massive mansion and he keeps having flashbacks to his horrible childhood where his eccentric, drunken, weirdo parents, uh, you know, abused him. And, uh, it kind of just goes from there and it has something to do with the spirit of Europe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's what the criterion description said, but mostly it was just this really like, it had a happy ending, but it was just a really like bummer movie. Hard to watch. I liked it, but it was just it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh okay. I uh went movie mode again. You did it, you went hardcore movie mode. It happens. What are you gonna do? You know? Um and that by that I mean uh I didn't actually watch that many movies because well, you know what? <laughs> It'll be still available then. Um First things first, I watched Ahazard Balthazar. Um, the, uh, the, uh, as I rush, uh, the Bresson movie about the donkey. Um, it was pretty decent. Um, but also, uh, it's like a fucking realist film about a donkey as the donkey goes through a bunch of handlers who sometimes treat it bad, sometimes treat it good. But that's just like life. We interact with people and some people have bad intentions, some people good and bad things happen and life goes on and it's all very sad and existential. And it's like it's like a fucking parody of art films. But like it's not. It's very earnest about it. And all the reviews are like this is a moving work of, of like religious fervor because it's a donkey and there's like some sheep iconography and blah blah blah. There, and you're right, but it's also good, though. Watching this movie is like grappling with the fact that, like, sometimes, quote unquote, art cinema is just like a lot. And by that, I mean, very little happens, but everyone attaches such import to it. Um, uh, I'm So what you're saying is it's really good, but everyone else likes it wrong. No, I'm saying that, like, 
it's it's like it's a perfect mirror to put whatever baggage you want to put into a Robert Brisson movie into. Um, but also it's mostly shots of like teens doing mean things to each other. And then a shot of a donkey sitting there passively. And like, that's <laughs> fucking art. You just got to react to that. And your reaction is the thing that gives it meaning. Um, mm-hmm. Like fundamentally, that's just like the core of it. But that doesn't mean like I had a great time. Like it was fine. It was fine. It was totally fine. <laughs> but some of the reviews are like, profoundly moved and i'm like i just think i can get better cinema than this and i can and do but like that doesn't make it bad it just makes it weird i my reaction to it was just weird it was very self-reflective about like what does it mean to watch a fucking art ass art movie uh yep you sound like me when i've watched something french (laughs) (laughs) um then i spent a fucking week watching showa you sure did which is the 1985 uh, Claude Lonsman film, uh, the nine and a half hour documentary about the Holocaust, Holocaust without using any uh, archival footage. It's all uh, contemporary interviews with the people who went through it, both Jewish people, people living in Poland who swear they had nothing to do with any of this, didn't even know the camps were there, and uh, some actual Nazis. Um, and uh, it's mostly him pressing them for details about what everything was like. Um, and it's really good. Uh, obviously it's not like the most pleasant watch cause it's a nine and a half hour document documentary about the Holocaust, but, um, it's mostly about the way in which like, it takes a lot of energy to kill millions of people, like an impossible amount of logistical effort to, to, to devise it, to keep it going. They didn't have like infinite resources, not some like magical killing machine. It was a lot of like, we got to build stuff. Then we got to put all these bodies somewhere and we got to like keep it going 24 seven. Cause there's just so many fucking people. Um, it's really profound in like how much industry was involved in just making this happen and how many people stood to gain from it just in terms of like, well, it's a lot of material that we have to buy and build. And, and then like everyone in Poland going like, well, suddenly these towns were empty and I could just move into this nice apartment. I never could have afforded. Um, it's fucked up. I mean, obviously, um, but yeah. it's really good. If you, if you're willing to like, you have to, obviously you don't have to see Cause there's no historical footage. You have to see any like, like actual, you, I mean, the, there's footage of the camps, but it's shot in 1985. So they're all ruins. Um, uh, it's good. Um, I highly recommend it. I think it's like an incredible film, uh, as a piece of like movie making, uh, the work itself is like really interesting. He made like four other movies out of the footage he didn't use. Cause he was shooting this movie for like 11 years um you interview a lot of people uh yeah but yeah uh i i really recommend it uh it was like the one on the like sight and sound 100 that i was like i've never really wanted to watch because it's a nine and a half hour documentary about the holocaust i was like i'm just gonna rip a bandit off if i'm in this mood i should fucking get these off my these big long ones that i thought i'd never get to just rip them off uh and it was good yeah. um but a bummer i spent like a whole week like chipping away at it a little bit at a time um because I did not have, I don't have nine hours of attention to me for fucking anything. You were kind of cartoonish, <laughs> and you were like, "Right, it's time to watch half an hour of Showa today before I go to bed." It was like, "Oh, the Game Awards are on. I'm going to watch Showa and live tweet Showa privately." Um, yeah, I should I should watch this at some point as well. As someone who like you know knows history, but like the entire project of Showa is demystifying the Holocaust as like an ideological event, defining everyone in Europe's minds as, as like yes. a real material thing that happened that people were involved in, which is just yes weirdly gets kind of brushed over in british schools yeah the one thing like 
obviously, uh, if you don't want to hear about the the Holocaust or whatever, because it's going to get a yes. little specific. Um, the one thing there, there's one thing. There's like one of the like guys who worked at the camps, like one of the Nazis, was like, yeah, only only the like one camp that like uh, that Mengele was at had the cool gas. We had to fucking pipe. We had to get back trucks up in the dead of winter to pi- pipe exhaust into the gas chambers because that's all we had was fucking truck exhaust. Um, it's like the like the like you know low rent nightmare of it all uh is the thing that i was like damn this is the stuff that nobody talks about no you just have to choose to do you have to be scrappy about murdering millions of people god fucking unimaginably evil i mean obviously the holocaust yeah uh but i guess i know i know the first thing with this movie is being confronted with it just it's a thing that's so culturally important and horrifying yet defining that it barely feels like real like you can't grasp it with your hands yes yes uh which is and even even the people who went through it and are getting interviewed some of them are clearly like unable to like you know you just you you either like not even be in denial about it it's just like it's hard to hold on to it's just too yes. big and there are mm-hmm. some people who clearly can't hold on to it and it, it's like ruined their lives well yeah um that all over anyway um after that i watched persona the bergman film um and uh i don't like i i don't like rushing into hyperbole about a movie um but i think (laughs) i'm sitting on it right but like this movie's fucking incredible i didn't know what it was about um like i'd seen like the obvious famous shots of like the face and the face and blah 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 um but and my my like i've watched some bergman's i'm slowly chipping away at the box set i broke order the box set's like in an order to watch suggested order i was like i'm just gonna watch persona like a normal person and I really loved it. Um, it's about this this actress, the stage actress who decides she's not going to talk anymore. And she goes to like a, a like a mental hospital or whatever to be treated. And they're, they're like, there's nothing seemingly wrong with her. She doesn't want to talk. And so a young nurse uh, takes her to the countryside and uh, just starts like projecting her own problems onto her. And then like starts to lose herself and her identity in this idea of why this actress is not like responsive and she'll like nod and she'll like listen like she's clearly like engaged she just she chooses not to talk um and it's just these two wrapped in this really toxic relationship about like identity and your expectations of the other and what it is to be a woman in society and like roles of motherhood and being a wife and I, it's fucking great i think this movie is incredible <laughs> just bowled over by it um I was very, I very it happy too. to watch it. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, yeah. I mean, it's Persona. It's like one of the most famous films in the world. I feel like uh, ridiculous sitting here like, oh, yeah, Persona's actually really good. You didn't know, but uh, I'm here to tell you, it's really fucking good. I mean, sometimes you eat vegetables and it's like, you, it's just an all-time classic. You're like, fuck, yes. cinema. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then I watched uh, Black Girl, the 1960, 1966 movie by uh, Osmane Um which is about a Senegalese woman uh, who gets hired by these, like this French couple who's in Senegal. Um, like they have a, they have like a apartment there and they're like, Oh, when we move, we move back to France, we're going to send for you and you can come be the nanny to our small kids or whatever. And uh, they do. And they do send for her. And it turns out they basically just make her like a domestic servant for them. Um, it's about her coming to France and realizing that France to her is just a kitchen where she cooks all day as like, all of their rich French friends come over and uh, talk about how cool it is to eat exotic, spicy food from Africa. Um, it's uh, it's really good. It's a fucking bummer. It's like an hour long. Yeah. Uh, 
it's one of those movies I've read about, but like I'm afraid to watch it. And I started it like two days ago. I was like, I'm going to watch it. And then I just turned it off immediately when it started because I yeah. knew that it was a bummer. It's nothing. It's nothing like, you know, as uh, as people who understand what racism and, and colonialism is, it's nothing that you don't know. I think it's like really well made. Um, there's like a really great scene in like in Senegal where she's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to be in Paris. I'm going to see all the sites or whatever. And her, this guy who's like, maybe her boyfriend or definitely interested in her is like, don't go. Like if you go, you won't come back. No one ever comes back. Um, it won't be what you think it is. Like France isn't the dream for people like us. And she's like, no, it'll be great. And she's like daydreaming about France. And she like climbs up on a monument to like the people who've died for Senegal and is like walking across it, like like because it's like a big wall, it's like a big like fresco or whatever. And she's walking across. He's like, get down from there. It's like sacrilegious to be up there. I'm like, that's the fucking cinema. That's the thing that's like beautiful about this movie. Um, all the contemporary interviews of the time is like, all these French people are just like cartoonishly evil. I don't understand. They don't have any interior life. It'd be better if the movie focused more on them. Um, and everyone had to like fucking uh, walk that back as the decades have passed. Oh. <laughs> um, it's it's good um it's it's like it's one of those it, this is like a little more of a vegetable one because this is like a fucking downer but it's a really good movie and it's pretty short um yeah it's like an hour isn't it yes it is an hour but i, I i'm it's just a it's just a very negative experience right uh you're gonna have a bad time and be, I, I watched this and i was like right before bed and i was like well i guess i'm just up for another hour because i'm not going to bed right after that um, yeah yeah this is why i haven't watched it yet yeah, I, uh, I just, I don't know if I can handle it. I'll be okay. I'm going to watch it. It's Like you said, it's kind of vegetables, but I'm curious about it. Um, and then I'm halfway through Satan Tongo, um, which I'll talk about next time when I finish it, um, which is the seven-hour Bella Tar movie based on a book about failed a failed collective farm in Hungary and a bunch of, like, shit of the people who live there as they try to scheme or whatever. Um I think St. Tongo might be like, I remember when I was on film Tumblr 10 over 10 years ago at this point, this was one of those that was like, all the, all the really arty kids are into St. Tongo posting about how cool it is, blah, blah, blah. And I was always like, Oh, this like very inapproachable movie because it's seven hours long or whatever. Um, I think St. Tongo might just be a slow motion, like Coen brothers, not quite farce, but just like, here's all these small people trying to grab it, like a bag of shit because it's better than what they've got right one of those kind of movies um and it's not like funny but it does have like sort of like a really dark sense of like yeah everyone's scrappy even the people have nothing and they're scrappy over nothing and that's just like people and uh just watching these people slow motion collide and backstab each other is like kind of uh fun in a certain way um it's just very slow like tar is famous for incredibly long shots that go for minutes at a time where not a whole lot's happening um but I think it's, I'm really enjoying it so far, but I'm only halfway in. So I got I got to the girl uh, being mean to her cat for like 20 minutes. That's where I stopped. So um, which is a lot of cinema around a girl clearly not actually doing any harm to a cat, but having to depict on film that she's doing harm to a cat. So there's a lot of weird cutaways around it. We're like, oh, she's she's going to like is she going to strangle her cat? But then her hands go off screen because she's not actually doing anything to a cat. And the cat mostly looks bored. Uh, but there's a lot of like audio of a of a cat yowling over the top of it. It's very goofy. That's cinema too. Also, um, uh, but I'll report back on how that actually shakes out next time. Okay. My goal is to get to like seventy five movies off of the uh, 
sight and sound by the end of next year, I'll probably easily do that. That doesn't seem that hard, actually, at this point. You can do it. Yeah. If I get to all of them, that'd be great. Um, anyway, that's it for me. So I guess we should get into our movie. Uh, our movie this week is Streets of Fire. Directed by Walter Hill. Uh, written by Walter Hill and Lloyd Gross. This came out in 1994, or 84, sorry, not 94. 94 was uh, St. Tongo. Um, and was an infamous bomb, um, notable for two things. Uh, the one song that blew up off of its soundtrack. Um, the, um, uh, why can't I think of the name of it? Destiny, what's the song? Oh, it's young? called... No, uh, I can dream that's about what it means to be young. Oh, I, no, can I can dream about, about you. It was the one that blew up. It's like what? a top yeah. ten. Yeah, yes. they play it on the radio all the time. Yes. You fucking kidding? What? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No, we'll yeah. yeah. Loose, yeah no, we we always we always say that, like this is the song that blew up from this movie. It's so fucking weird. Um, and uh, in Jackson's case, and like our friend Nora, um, the Streets of Fire poster was famously uh, riffed on for the Proto Men album. I don't even know the name of the album. Oh, that would be Act Two, Father of Death, please. Okay. Uh, the, pre- the prequel in which uh, Dr. Light and Thomas Wiley create the Industrial Empire oh, yeah. that... Uh, the Proto, is, Man uh, is a f- Proto Man are a fucking <laughs> shitty band that do Mega Man-themed rock music. Also, They put out a new song, like, yesterday. Yeah. Is that the one you made me listen to, or no? No, that was the fucking song by Queen. What are you... T- that was Under Pressure. <laughs> yeah, but it was by them, wasn't it? Yes, but the, the, their new song is a new song from oh, Act 3. Song. Okay. Whatever. Which I has been an... in like Act... Act 2 came out in 2009. No one who cared about the Proto Man then still cares. Like, can you imagine still caring about the fucking Proto Man? It's just one of my, like... I can't imagine and... caring about the Proto Man in the first place. Well, you weren't a teenager then. You were already, no. you know... Yes. Insert whatever embarrassing Newgroundsy thing you were into in 2002. Uh, you know, uh, and imagine if they were still putting shit out in 2012, 2015. Uh, no, um, beyond them, that, that would be that would be That would be Homestar Runner. <laughs> Right, I guess they were. So you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> but I wasn't paying attention to it, to be honest. I haven't watched any home star that was produced after I got out of high school, basically. I would not call this famously also. This is like that's just a, a reference. I assumed I just from seeing that that this is like one of the cult eighties movies that is in that kind of culture. Um so uh actually uh so my thing is um this movie is like was like a bomb at the time and it's kind of picked up steam over time as it was like a cult classic i caught it on netflix back when netflix had movies that you'd want to watch um at this point like fucking over 10 years ago and was just it was one of the biggest surprises of netflix i just watched it out of the blue i was like oh willem defoe's in this i'll watch this um oh he sure is (laughs) and, uh, and loved it um anyway uh jackson would you like to summarize what happens in streets of fire uh, I'll do my best. Um, Tom Cody is a guy, and he has come back to town uh, to find that uh, the Bombers, a local biker gang from the Battery, which is another part of town that looks the same because they, they all live on a soundstage, uh, it has kidnapped his ex, uh, his ex-girlfriend, who is also like the local pop star she's she's become big she's she's dating rick moranis who's her agent and he's taken her places uh so tom offers to work for rick moranis to bring her back uh and goes on a quest takes uh mccoy uh who is this also ex-soldier woman that comes with them and proceeds to fail at nothing uh and succeed at literally every single part of a plan which is like 
rule of movie making, usually you want complication in the plan. No, he simply succeeds at every move he makes, brings her home, uh, and all, all is worked out. Uh, they have some relationship tension uh, as she's she still loves him and he still loves her but he's not good enough for her and then eventually he like decides to let her go and be with rip Moranis because he's gonna go off and be a, be a cool guy somewhere else i guess i i don't know he's gonna uh, walk unclear. the earth like kane in kung fu like because <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie is a western uh kung fu also uh, western kung fu also a western yes <laughs> exactly uh and the movie ends by Wonderful, who is the leader of the bombers, uh, showing up to have an honorable duel uh, with Tom Cody, uh, and Tom wins. The end. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's the, that's the movie. Uh, then that's they the sing plot. some music. They sing some music at the start of the beginning. Well, they they, they don't sing music. There are musical performances. This movie's not a musical. I, no, the no, thing no. I it's a movie really... with music, and it's like a guy like it's got the stylings of a musical. But at no point does anyone stop and sing their feelings as part of the plot, which is I think no. key to a musical. Agreed. People, People call some musical, and I'm like so stringently up because, like, I understand they know that no one's singing, right? Like, but yes. they think that the musical, the music features enough for it to become a musical. And I just think there is a fundamental difference between what music does uh, in film when it's like ever present as to when it's vocalized. Yes, Tom Cody does not have exteriority to sing. He is they're going to play the operatic music where he walks off and be cool uh, underneath it. Yes. Um, so, uh, this is our second Walter Hill movie. Uh, we watched I didn't plan 48 that, hours. By the way. No, 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 I know. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it, uh, until covering this. And so they made 48 hours, huge success, basically got a blank check if they wanted to pitch something. And they pitched this because Walter Hill was like, I want to make a cool movie about all the things I thought were cool when I was a teenager. And I like comic books, but I don't, <laughs> the pitch was, I want to make a comic book movie, but I I like the idea of comic books, but I don't like comic books. So I'm just going to write a guy that is like what I think a comic book guy is like. <laughs> which is, I love that. Which is maybe, I think he succeeded in like the most damning way of comic books possible. <laughs> yes. Uh, because Co- Tom Cody is a nothing man from nowhere. He sucks. <laughs> yeah, he's like a non-character. You look at all the production stuff, it's like, this is meant to be the first in a series of Tom Cody movies. I'm like, good fucking luck. Uh, and then, then and you look at other stuff, and it's like, well, they wanted Tom Cruise. I'm like, well, maybe in that case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they wanted like 84 Tom Cruise, though, right? Like, it's not the same thing. It's better than Michael Padre, whatever his name is. Yeah. Michael Padre. Michael Padre. Yeah. Um... I'm just saying, like, you know, they were they were going for someone unknown. Tom Cruise was in that talk at that point. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like they got Willem Dafoe just because he knew like the, the the like casting agent, right? Like, oh, Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe knew the assignment on this day. <laughs> Show up and look like a vampire, a German vampire, please. Thank you. <laughs> Simply not in enough scenes. <laughs> he's just gonna. He, he's only wearing like uh, leather overalls. Like he's shirtless and he's grimacing and his hair looks weird. That's that's his role. In this movie. Yeah, clothes are weird too. Yeah. Um, the other person who knew the assignment was Rick Moranis, though. Did you read the thing in the Wikipedia where it's like he just is the he was just this guy the entire time, and fucking Walter Hill was like, "Why are you an asshole?" Uh, that that quote, cracks the, me up. The quote specifically from Michael Parry, not Walter Hill. Oh, okay. Which I think Michael is Parry, a different yes. context. He Walter, Michael Parry comes in and he just immediately starts bullying him because he knows he doesn't have it. He's just an actor. Yes. <laughs> um, which is very funny. 
Uh, we'll get a. We'll talk about Rick Moranis in this movie. He's framed so weird. It's such a weird yeah, film. Uh, it's a weird casting. I always think of Rick Moranis as the nerd. Yeah, he's like either the nerd or like the like I think of like Hunter uh, Hunter Kids. He's like he's also the nerd in that, but he's like you know he's like the dad. He's the enterprising dad. He's gonna go save his kids. And in this, he's just like a fucking little weasel man who sucks all the time. He, when when everyone else is being normal, like people's lives are at stake, he's just gonna be a little weasel man who says shitty things all the time. I think he's I think he's brilliant at the movie. He's like yes, the best he's. He's very good. He's very, very good. Uh, he, it's so strange his role in this movie, and that he, he draws attention to the artifice of it all, and yes. that his character is so awful in every situation that you can only read him as a fake man. Yes. In the, is he? Oh, go ahead. Well, just in that, like, it's meant to turn you against him because they've written the most annoying Weasley guy, but it just comes across as you feel the insecurity of this movie making this romantic rival the most Weasley awful man ever. I'm like, you don't have to do this. It just, it's really it funny because they do all that knowing that he's going to be the guy she ends up with, right? The, the turn is so funny because at the start of the movie, I was like, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll form a begrudging respect. And instead, they don't. But then in the final scene, they pretend they have. Yeah. <laughs> but that final scene comes out of nowhere. There's no growth or, like, he doesn't realize, like, I'm just this weird nerd, but I'm, like, you know, I, I can handle some things and I have my own, own way of caring and I don't have to, like, be an insecure man about it and you can also stop being a cool... Like, you know, you see the, like, bones of how this relationship would work in a 48-hour style thing yes. and they just don't do it. <laughs> yes. I was going to ask if Rick Moranis was the most famous person in this movie at the time this movie was made because he had already done, like, SCTV. Probably. And like this Bill is the Paxton same year that Ghostbusters shit. came out. Yeah. Bill Paxton hadn't done shit. Diane Lane was 18. She'd done nothing. Like, she's been in a couple she movies, did... but... Yeah, yeah. Um, Little movies. Yeah. But this so was supposed I, to probably, blow her up. Probably? Um, yeah. Um... The, the thing about this movie, because uh, I like I've seen it before, I really liked it. But then whenever I go and revisit, I, I go and watch uh, Tonight is What It Means to Be Young, right? Like I, I watch the ending of the movie because it's fucking incredible where she sings the song about how uh, time passes and cool guys le- come and go. And he's a cool guy who walks out of the fucking uh, theater and into the truck of the very cool like lesbian drifter that he's been hanging with the entire movie. <laughs> She's uh, either she might be bisexual because she does mention dating men at yes. some point in the movie. Which well, she threw says, me off she, like crazy. You, there's a bit where like, wait, why are I talking about her ex boyfriend? What's she doing? And then at the end of that speech, she's like, "Well, that was before I was a soldier." And I'm like, "Okay, I can see what you're doing here." I get it. <laughs> oh, got it. Yeah. Um, so originally, th- this is a fun uh, bit of trivia. Originally, sh- this, she auditioned for his brother, like his sister, like Tom Cody's sister, and Reva. she wanted to be the McCoy role, who's originally just going to be like a guy, like an oafish guy. And they're like, "Yeah, there's no reason we couldn't make it you." Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's my favorite in this. Yeah, I, absolutely. She's so scrappy. <laughs> Amy Madigan. She's great. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I mostly watched the end of this movie when I like on YouTube. So I hadn't sat down and watched the whole thing through in a while. Because um, I'd seen it, I've seen it a couple times. And I remember the middle being like, oh, yeah, it kind of drags or whatever. And it does. But um, I was struck this time watching it. Um, how much this, like trades and this is like on the posters like a rock and roll fable trades in like the unreality of it in a way that i feel like is very forward thinking for a certain genre of movies is going um 
I have like a whole treatise. So if you bear with me as I just talk about this for a little bit, um, the thing, <laughs> so there's a lot of movies that will come out in the, in the nineties, mostly that feel like they're built on the ideas of this kind of movie. Um, there's, there's the musical rock version of this, which like you got your Bubba Hoteps and you've got your six string samurais, um, six string samurai. If you like this movie at all, you need, you owe it to yourself to watch six string samurai. Cause that's about a fucking rockabilly guy in a post-apocalyptic America being summoned to Las Vegas to fight other like evil guys based on other genres of rock music it's ridiculous it's really good um uh, i like it a lot um bubba hotep i like a little less but it, you know everyone's i feel like more people have heard about bubba hotep um that's about elvis fighting a mummy um anyway uh but there's also like the 90s like messy sci-fi film i'm talking about your super mario brothers movie okay uh, your your tank girl sort of thing um demolition man that kind of like big sci-fi <laughs> Uh, but also in the in the realm of like we still got to make sets um this movie has a weird thing where it's shot a lot of it is shot in chicago at night but they had to also build a lot of it to be shot in chicago like in a set that looks like chicago um and so there's a lot of like big tarped over streets that are like with obvious rain towers pouring down some of the most expensive looking rain for a cheap movie you've ever seen um and there's just like streets filled with extras that are all costume designed way more than they ever should be and they all it has this this movie has an air of like the post-apocalyptic but there's no post-apocalypse it's just a mo- it's just like a contemporary film right it, it's very right. strange because i also thought this and like i thought oh i could never say something this wild it'll be laughed out of the room but i was also like you can draw a line from like the ways in which every character lines up inside this crazy looking diner Uh, that they clearly built to like the wild productions design of shit like judge dread yes absolutely Um, (laughs) i think i think it's like i think there's a direct line i genuinely do yeah because i I came away like really strongly thinking that was like oh i won't bring that up because that'll be just too too out there but i'm glad you did it first because i was so struck by how everything here is a set and how it like but it's not like the running man a lot of it isn't they shot on real chicago streets they just feel like sets because they dress them and like lit them like sets (laughs) that real train in the real train station looks like a soundstage i don't know how they fucking did it it's crazy yeah (laughs) which might be the funniest shot in the movie when he he knocks he knocks out his girlfriend and sends her off like he he punches her in the face but i think it's weird because uh the accepted language of politely knocking someone out is a solar plexus punch please learn how to do this in cinema <laughs> um, but he does the like i am knocking you out and sending you away from the violence thing and sends her off in the train and then walks over to the other train to go back and is like i gotta go back to town you gotta take me and she's like i can't take you uh the the, the bombers have done that and then he looks to his right and the town's on fire <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did you not see that? Sorry, did you not see the fucking explosions in the background there? By the way, when he gets back to the town, it's not on fire. So I don't no. know what, yeah, what's that going was on weird. there. Instead, it's like it's, it's it's like a really miserable like early morning on the streets of Chicago, and the, there's the gang, there's like the biker gang who are all weird German guys in leather outfits, and uh, and v Ling, uh, Ving Lee is there for no good reason or leaving, um, <laughs> leaving, yeah. Um, versus versus a bunch of weird fifties rockabilly guys led by Bill Paxton with like a metal tooth. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it, so the part where this 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 movie is literally just a western is so funny in its aesthetics right because they have their town that they live in and then the, the bikers ride in and they steal the, the, the like hot celebrity girl and they gotta go on a mission and get her back uh yeah and then like 
the way the cops are portrayed is also very Western that he's got the sheriff he's like he's this guy I don't like him but you know he's one of us and we'll stick together in the final fight the way the way the way that the neighborhood cop is treated differently than like the the like other cops you see in the movie as like this guy's the sheriff even though they're both just cops there was those cops in this town because it's a real city it's like a normal 80s city but like he blow they blow up like a bunch of cop cars and they don't kill yes. anyone because this, this movie's very video game about its violence a lot of people blow up and everyone they goes to, oh. yeah, they want a pg movie specifically so yeah uh, nobody dies so nobody dies but he he does do a bunch of violence on some really shitty cops that are like gonna take their bribe money and then arrest them anyway yes um so he hits he hits their cars with a with a shotgun that makes them all explode in one hit <laughs> yes because he has a, a exploding <laughs> bullet shotgun uh yes. that everything <laughs> with criticals um uh, and those guys like they saw him they would call the other cop like i expected oh when he gets back to town he'll meet the cop and then he'll know uh you know he's the words out now but that doesn't come up again those cops don't matter they were other cops they weren't part of the town there is an obstacle in the way yes Uh, the movie's like sense of space feels very uh just just um unreal unreal yeah Yeah. like i was gonna say incoherent but it's not incoherent because it's deliberately just not real yeah it just gives the whole thing a weird vibe. We're like, Michael Pare is not a good actor. He is very no. wooden in this movie. Mm-mm. But because no. it's surrounded by so much unreality, you're almost like, is this intentional? And no, absolutely not. He just can't act. But <laughs> it's given him this weird cushion where, like, his iconic nature is like a nothing, like, like sketched outline of a tough guy. There's a bit where... Um, where he's in the diner and he's everyone else is like dressed in whatever version of music they're into is like aesthetic and he's got fucking like overalls and like a the most beat up shirt in the world like he's been mining in a cave for 800 years um and this guy comes in with a knife and he's like oh you don't need that kid uh and you're like what is going on here what is this guy's deal why is he a cartoon and he throws them through the window and then yeah. his sister's like why'd you break my window <laughs> which I also thought uh, this is also one of the best lines of the movie which is when these punks come in and his sister just says you guys should have had to come through a door <laughs> incredible line um yeah it just it's just super weird um James from Twin Peaks loves Michael Parry in this movie yeah <laughs> he's, he's adopted his whole personality <laughs> Yeah, As, so, so in terms of also it. being a like cool guy who can't act at all. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just very goofy because then he has to like then he has to act as if like him and Diane Lane have like this long standing relationship when Diane Lane is like a literal baby in this movie. <laughs> yeah, she's way too young for him. <laughs> the yeah, they wanted to cast someone more age appropriate, but they got her, and they're like, "Oh, she's way cooler than everyone else who's like auditioned." So I guess we're just gonna go with it and hope nobody notices. I love her in this. I yeah. uh, she's also the lead singer in a little scene '82 movie called "Ladies and Gentlemen, This Fabulous Stains." So like, you could do like a double feature of her being a lead singer, uh, and uh, she has more personality in "The Fabulous Stains." I don't really give her a lot to do in this. No. She just kind of scowls the whole movie. Yes. Or she sings. Or lip syncs. Uh, for la- Yeah, lip syncs. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's so, like, for the actual movie itself, I was I was conflicted in that I, I really like, I, I really like the ending and the, and the opening, right? Like, the, the songs are great. Um, I didn't know who did the song, so when she comes out, I'm like, what the fuck is Teenage Meatloaf Girl doing here? Uh, <laughs> 
because uh, I, I just didn't know who wrote the song. I was like, well, yeah, okay, that's why it sounds like that. Then I, then I looked up, like, um, Meatloaf has done a version of uh, the first song, whatever it was called, um, Nowhere no Fast. fast. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound, it sounds way less like Meatloaf, because obviously, like, Steinman didn't produce that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because he's the actual Meatloaf guy. When you think of Meatloaf, you actually think of him. Um, yes. And so I'm like, damn, this rules. This opening is incredible. Why is the drummer always out of sync? Everyone else is actually in sync with the music, so they clearly had the music pre-written. The drummer's not doing the drum track, though. What were they doing? I was <laughs> very distracted by that. Um, <laughs> they really didn't know how to shoot. And they admit it. Like, later, they're like, we did not know how to shoot musical sequences. We just did not study, like, how well, to do it. the thing he specifically said was, like, in the studio system, the vertical integration meant you could just do rehearsals. You, you can't do rehearsals for this kind of, like, thing in 1982 music production, or 1984, I guess, as the movie comes out. Yes. Um, uh, but the actual film itself is so much about, like, this cool guy OC uh, and how perfect he is uh, and how much cooler he is than this embarrassing fake, you know, romantic rivalry burning up. He's the worst. Sly- oh, can you imagine that a girl might want to fuck someone who's short and weird? It's, like, so weirdly insecure about yes. the fact. Like, it- and... And it's the part where I go, would this movie be better? Like, if Tom Cody's actually cool, does that, like, bring it all together? Or does it do the other thing where, like, the movie is driven by the fact that Tom Parry, uh, not Tom Parry, Michael Parry, Tom Cody, is the worst character ever. He's just the he's just like they've got a cardboard cutout uh, to act against all these other guys. And the animating forces of all the conflict is, like, the insecurity that he might not be the hottest, most perfect man that everyone wants to fuck. <laughs> I, think, I think it might be, like, a better movie, but I, think it, yes. I don't think it would be a classic in the same way. No, because I think the weirdness is like inherent in why people like it. Yes, because uh, like the ending's very strange to me in that textually, right? Like what happens, I think is stupid. Uh, I think like I'm too cool for this relationship, uh, and the idea of investing in like the fact that he's going to walk out and like leave her with this shitty guy who he, the movie has been awful to the whole time and thinks sucks uh, just doesn't work at all. Um, as as a plot point, right? Like if you think about it for four seconds, like this is this is fucking awful. Why this isn't a conclusion? The, the, it's still like his professed reason is that guy will actually help you out, and I'm not. I don't. I'm not going to hang around and drag your guitars around, right? Like he says, the thing that is true about Tom Cody is that he sucks and doesn't want to like support a woman, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but like because uh, Rick Moranis has been so shitty, you don't really get the sense of like, oh, he's also the reliable normal guy, right? What they're trying yeah. to do, and so it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, he's not likable, right? Um, it doesn't work at all on the ending, except aesthetically, what's happening is the coolest song is playing and the lights <laughs> are going down, and he's walking out and he's getting into the car, and you're like, fucking cinema's happening in front of my face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you get this weird dissonance of like my the brain of my brain that can watch movies and think about events in sequential order and how characters work is going this is inert this is terrible this doesn't work at all but my like this is how aesthetics create meaning is like let's fucking go he walked away to the devil town with his cool girl in the uh in the car and the song's playing i'm like that's cinema that's what it's all about that's yeah. movies yeah it doesn't if, if you're if your ending's perfect doesn't matter what came before it <laughs> I think yeah. I, have tweet. Let me find, I have that tweet. Uh, I think I made a tweet like a year ago, which is, uh, let me find it. Uh, all right, here it is. Um, uh, they start teaching the things that matter in film school. Like, it doesn't matter how good your movie is so long as you nail the song you play at the end. That is just true <laughs> about just cinema true. to me. 
Um, I think it's funny they were going to put the the Springsteen Suits of Fire song in here. It would have been a much worse movie if they got if they had actually got the rights to it. <laughs> I agree. I want to listen to it. The vibes are off. The, <laughs> he wrote that song in two days, uh, and it's so much better fitting. Yeah, Tonight's Amazing the... Young is one of my favorite songs. It's so good. It's just a tossed I... off song for this movie. <laughs> I think I own the vinyl of this movie soundtrack, and I only yep. play that song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I like both uh, both songs that uh, Simon did the opening and the ending one. Yeah. Um, it is great. funny. It is funny when the uh, uh, the band they picked up along the way are doing the backing vocals. Oh, you mean uh, the ridiculous the like four black guys doing like music from the sixties instead? Um, when they're doing the backing vocals of the animal, don't lie to me. There was not there wasn't a black person within fifty miles of the recording studio when you when you laid down these one tracks. Of the, one of the black guys is Robert Townsend, who's like a director and an actor and a comedian in his own right, and it is the most distracting thing to me that he is in this movie as like a no one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very weird. And that that scene where they they're singing their acapella stuff, and it's the only time in the movie someone like live on sets actually doing any singing, <laughs> <laughs> and they don't sound anything like that when they're on stage. No. They sound like doo-wop when they're in the bus, and then when they're out singing in public, it's like the most eighties song that ever eighties. Yes. But when it, when when they were doing that, I was like, is this why they can't get gigs? Are they like you know trying to do this act in, in the eighties, <laughs> in the eighties, fifties, Mad Max like, world? It almost gestures to like a a. Uh, blues brothers style story right where like everyone's just like in the world trying to do their music as their truth and just the world's moved on sort of thing right yes i guess well that's not actually what happens here like there's there's like they just end up picking them up and they're like part of their weird on like by the end they have like an rpg party and it's like a four-man acapella music group is one of the party members it is is literally an rpg because they keep accidentally picking up party members yes they they pick up tommy pickles uh what's her face in this yes Um, eg daily one of the great voice actors they try to get rid of her yes and then she's just like no I'm, i'm sticking around she doesn't really do anything but she is in the movie the whole time <laughs> she just accidentally ends up being uh ellen ames like assistant for a little bit of the movie basically yeah, yeah it's very weird it's very silly uh yeah uh goofy shit happening in this movie it's weird because like a lot of it feels kind of an accident and i think if they tried a little harder it wouldn't work i think it's like a weird soap bubble of a film yeah i mean like i said like the actual ideas and themes i think are regressive and bad yes. i think it's like is deeply earnest about this cool guy western comic book fantasy right of like if a shitty man just believes hard enough he will fix the problems but know that he can't like he can't change right like he's gonna go to the next place because he's too of a different era but they don't even do of a different era right so he's not like he's an old they're doing that trope but they're not like setting it in a world with enough history for that to make any sense that he's just a weirdo that i guess leaves yes (laughs) even though they're fucking doing the you know man with no name style thing i haven't seen those movies but like you know wandering traveler (laughs) yes western yeah um i'm glad you liked it because i was like i I think this still lands about the things it's goofy about even though it is like a it's like a you know i think it's a movie that i like there's parts of it that i love more than basically any other film but also it's a weird mess uh but it's good yeah like i say it was it was a weird mix of like thematically there's a lot of things i find bad but i you know i enjoy the images and sounds in front of my face this is this is also this is the thing that we talk about when we're like um one of my friends i don't even remember who it was yesterday tweeted one way to fix movies is you have to make five movies before you can work for disney 
What? It was Maria. Okay. Maria tweeted that. Okay. Well, Maria's right. Uh, I don't think Maria will be listening to this. But uh, yeah, um, I was like, uh, because like the thing that happens, like Walter Hill blew his blank check bag on this movie and it's like the wrong, it's just the wrong choice in every conceivable way. And that's what's good about cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like imagine you make 40 hours and then you're fucking making Captain America 6. That's what happens now, right? Like, oh yeah, you can't make the like, because this is the blank check movie, right? His, His blank check big budget film uh 40 million by the way 14 that is 14 yes. million on the budget yes yes uh, which is not how movies work anymore no but like you know walter hill is out there making the the like serious version of this film which is the warriors like you know seven years before five years before i think five years before. right um which is a very like i mean warriors is not a serious film but it's like a respected genre film about what if uh, what if a city was a bunch of different aesthetics and every aesthetic was its own little bubble world and someone had to walk through all of them yes uh when this movie started i was like what what did they think biker gangs were in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> i saw that tweet um, they're just like murderers they're just evil murderers that'll go around and kill you i mean the hell's angels were kind of like that a little bit but not even then it was like a lot of like reactionary overblown stuff and also like easy rider really fucked up american culture <laughs> i guess it did yeah it's not a very good movie but it did like give like square people the idea that like bikers were the most dangerous human beings on the planet it just it feels like a such a throwback idea in that like my entire time being alive all this energy would be racialized uh right yes like all gang talk now is pure just like uh you know racism it's just racism yeah just black and brown people (laughs) are here to kill you yes it's that kids uh essay from safe about the gangs <laughs> whereas every time i see like an old movie uh with like biker gangs it just makes me think of the stephen king evil greaser thing of like when you when you're white and you grow up in a world where everyone else is white i guess this is the, the class of people you imagine is the the boogeyman is the fucking weird young bikers might kidnap the women yes <laughs> what was the so gonna funny. come kidnap the women you're like, man, I'll let him. I love Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have... Oh, man, imagine I was being kidnapped by Willem Dafoe and I got saved by Michael Pari. I'd be so mad. Man, put me back, <laughs> please, oh, God. Oh, put me back, Willem Dafoe. Oh. <laughs> he also kind of kidnaps Laura Dern in... Uh, what's that movie? Wild at Heart. Well, not kidnaps, but just when you think of his character in that, kind of gross. Yeah. Yucky guy. Love Willem Dafoe. Love him in everything I've ever Me seen too. him in. Me too. They try to do an honorable duel at the end, but their specific implements are like Two mining hammers. hammers. Yes, they're like rail driving hammers. It's ridiculous. In the, the problem, like, if either of you makes contact, the other person's not just dead, their head's exploded. Their head is caved in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what they do is like make huge, bad, we can't fight. And also, there's no, there's like n- almost no stuntmen involved in that fight. So they're just oh, like you can big, tell. they're big Captain Kirk, like double-handed swings that are the most obvious things in the world to dodge and block. Uh, it's it's very a very funny fight. Uh, also, everyone has guns. The part where the entire town pulls out a gun at the end to, like, shoo off all the bikers. The fuck did you get those guns from? Yeah, they, they don't even play it as, like, a joke, even though it is cartoonish. Literally, all of the all of the rockabilly guys show up, and literally every one of them has a gun. Um, wild. Yeah. Uh, it's very goofy. Uh, I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, had a good time. It's uh, fun. Anything else? Should we go to questions? 
we can go to questions unless you got anything else, Destiny. I don't have anything. I just right. like this movie. Uh, our first question from Nora. I want you to look at each rating you use on Letterboxd and tell me your favorite movie from each star rating. Nora gives hers. One star, Atlas Shrugged Part 3. Man, that's that's rough. Uh, two stars, Cole the Conqueror. Three, Prometheus. Four, Light the Fuse, Sartana is Coming. And five, Starship Troopers. Something this early so you have time to think about it. Um, Does that mean like, that Starship Troopers is Nora's favorite movie of all time? I just don't believe that's true, but it doesn't <laughs> It doesn't seem like it would be Nora's pick for best movie of all time. But you can't go higher than five stars, so if it's logged on Letterboxd, it can't be yeah. better than, five, than yeah. Starship Troopers by its so own, own logic. Here's the thing. I, was, I went to do this, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And I realized I've seen almost 2,000 movies. It's like in 1996, I think, is how many movies I'm at. Um, and uh, I can't go through every three-star or four-star movie and tell you the best one. There's hundreds of them. Yes. There might literally be a thousand three, three or four-star movies, right? Like, Yeah. I rated everything I think four, four is stars. probably my highest, my most common rating. <laughs> probably close to a thousand Same. movies. Same. Oh yeah, my full, I I have uh one twenty nine one uh two hundred twelve two three hundred six three uh three hundred seventy two four and two hundred thirty four five. Oh, let me let me go. I guess, I forgot I could actually look at this. Is it in the profile? Yeah, in profile uh, on the profile page. Wow, this is way easier to sort through. Uh, you can I have, actually I have seven hundred sixty two four star ratings. It, movies are pretty much four stars. Yeah. Um. So I, I was doing this. Uh, do you want to go first? I, sorry, I interrupted you, but you were about to. Oh, I was just saying, like, so when I went through this, I basically, like, I did, I legitimately tried for one and two stars. And then I just, because, like, I only have 103 one-star movies. I, it's very rare a movie gets one star for me. Um, I just don't pick movies I think I'm going to dislike like that, you know? Um, yeah. It has to it has to surprise and disappoint me in every way. <laughs> um uh, but then I got to the other ones and I basically picked anything that I thought was like exceptionally representative of that star. And also I don't talk about on this podcast very often. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I was doing it and I was like by four or five stars, I couldn't really pick cause there's just movies I all like. Uh, yes. whereas for the other stars, you can get to one to be like, man, whatever me was thinking a decade ago, I was rating that wrong. Well, yeah, there's also, <laughs> there's like my two star here. I'm like, this is not a two star movie. This is rude, but I wasn't going to re-rate anything for the purpose of this. Yeah. I have the exact same problem where like my three star movies, I'm like, I'd go back and give that four stars. And then a lot of my four star movies are like, eh, there's probably two or three now. Yeah. Anyway, who would like to go first? I can go if you want. Yeah. Uh, okay, my one-star movie was easy. I have Batman and Robin waiting one stars. What the fuck's wrong with me? There you go. Easy. Damn. Done. Yeah. In a bullet. Nailed it. Most of the one-star movies are genuinely terrible. I was like, going yeah. through, like, you know, th- there's way less like, oh, you know what? I actually am fond of this. No, most of them are just movies I fucking hate. You know, Ghost in the Shell, 2017. Yeah. <laughs> Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Things of this nature. You know what? Amazing Spider-Man 2 is also in here. That one, uh, that one, that there you go there's another one uh get star for cam nazi doctor anyway keep uh, going never number two uh two stars i have a bunch of movies in here um that i i assume i would like more can't say for sure but i have face off as two stars which i can't imagine is true oh my god fuck off um because I, I always <laughs> I, when i watched it i thought face off was kind of mid i preferred con air when it came to stupid nicholas cage uh, I have face-off rated as five stars. <laughs> I think I rated it four. 
I've watched it like before I even went to uni. I couldn't tell you. I watched it in high school, so who knows? Uh, and I also have Dragon Ball Evolution of two stars, which is too low. Um, I have three. Uh, I have, for some reason, apparently, I never went back and re-rated Matrix Reloaded when I rewatched it. Oh my god! Um, and and that one obviously higher. Uh, similarly, I also have Close Encounters of the Third Kind rated that low, which is famously a movie I did not no! click with the what? first. I know, I know, I'm saying. I'm coming around on these things. Drive Angry is three stars? What's wrong with me? Um, <laughs> and then by four, I was like, I, I, these are all just movies I mostly like. Like, The Born Identity was in there, and I was like, I'll probably, I would bump that up to five now. I love The Born Identity. That one's a fucking classic movie. Uh, but I couldn't tell you what, like, my best five-star movie is. That's just not, a, that's just asking what my favorite movie is. <laughs> that's really it's a good good list though yeah something else all right i will go um so my i i don't really like how i rated movies like i use my letterbox intermittently and i yes. had it like 10 years ago and then used it a bunch and then i stopped and then started and stopped and started so it doesn't have everything but like very few movies have under three stars so it was kind of just like a funny way to pick them. But anyway, my, my one star movie out of the t- like three movies, uh, I picked Night of the Demons, which is this horror movie that's like an 80s. No, it's like early 90s kind of camp movie that like I rewatched uh, for the first time as an adult, like back when I was doing horror movies a day. And I just remember thinking it was just okay, but I'd probably give it a higher rating now. Um, it's your typical teenagers getting killed off, uh, sexy uh, demon movie. Um, and then I did kind of a unique thing here. I did half star ratings a lot. So you're getting my half star ratings uh, picks as well. So uh, for one and a half stars... <laughs> I only rated two movies one and a half stars. One was the 2011 Robin Hood movie that Catherine Hardwick directed. Does anyone remember this movie? Absolutely not. Why would I? No, 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 no no way. Like they were trying to cash in on her Twilight fame. So they had her do this shitty romance. Uh, I can't remember who the male lead is in it, but it's Amanda Seyfried is the lead. What? And, uh... And she's Little Red Riding Hood, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's just some unforgettable guy, or excuse me, totally forgettable guy, uh, and, like, there's a weird love plot. But anyway, the other movie I rated one and a half stars is this very little scene. I'm pretty sure I watched it for my episode of the uh, trash movie podcast, Junk Food Dinner. Uh, Jim Varney in Fast Food which is what I picked as my favorite one and a half star movie. It's about uh, competing burger restaurants. One of them releases a sauce that makes you horny. And it was a delight compared to Red Riding Hood. Um, I went and looked up the poster for Red Riding Hood. Uh, <laughs> this is the most, this is a 30 rock movie that's ever existed. <laughs> uh, I, you know, like she comes up to Tina Fey, and Jenna's like, "I've I've got a new movie that I'm in." <laughs> um, it just looks like a Twilight poster to me. It is. It just this looks like I can't take any of this seriously. Ooh, yeah, no, fucked it's up bad. Red Riding Hood young adult romance movie. No way. Damn yeah, man. no, it's it's real bad. But yeah, fast food is 
uh, probably worse in like the grand scheme of movies, but I would rather watch an 80s sex romp about uh, burgers that make you horny over Red Riding Hood. Uh, <laughs> now, my next pick for two stars is Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> it's too low. Um, I think I'd rate it two stars too. I was like, what the fuck's wrong with you? That's like a four star movie. I love it like now, but at the time I was like, this is not a very good movie, which is weird because I like it more than Tokyo Drift. Um, I do too, but not in the same way you do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're going to laugh when you hear my two and a half star movie. My favorite out of these, and I rated way more movies, two and a half stars, uh, Crank 2. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I did not not really care for it. Yeah. Yeah. Crank I liked. Crank 2, not so much. Uh, what's the other crank movie called? That's it. There's just two. Oh, I thought there were two, three. Okay, no. never mind. Uh, this is a movie I'm embarrassed to say I rated three stars because it's great. Uh, Weekend. Uh, the the like. Wait, which weekend? Which weekend? Oh, the British one about the men Man, who fall in love. That's like a five star and... movie. What the fuck's wrong with you? I also, don't know. You're like the you're like the queer cinema aficionado. What the fuck is wrong with you? I don't know. I didn't write a review. I have no idea why I rated it three stars. I Just... like that movie a lot. I would rate it five stars if I watched it today. I have oh. no. I could not tell you. This is why my ratings are useless. Yeah. My ratings are absolutely useless. Uh, I knew I'd get shit from you for that, but I. Uh, I do like it more than three stars. I don't know why I gave it three stars. <laughs> so for three and a half stars is even weirder. Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, it's a three and a half star movie. <laughs> Five star movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. That movie has, talk about an ending. Oh my God. Uh, my four star uh, movie is... One we watched very early on for this podcast, Possession. The, Not this um, podcast. Oh, really? Okay. Was that was a different a, podcast? It, it was It was for Trash Pick Ratio. Oh, my God. Yes, it was. Okay. So, yeah. Possession, uh, the European one with uh, Sam Neill. Uh, then Four and a Half Stars is Greg Araki's Doom Generation. Almost a perfect movie. And then for Five Isn't- Stars... Oh, wait, what were you going to say? I was going to say, there's no way in hell Greg Araki's ever been close to something could be described as a perfect movie. He could be in a video store full, full of perfect movies, and I wouldn't allow him to be described as close to a perfect movie. <laughs> Greg Araki has made three perfect movies. What are you talking oh my about? God. He made Mysterious Skin, he made <laughs> The Living End, and he made Doom Generation. <laughs> Whatever, they're great. Talk about <laughs> queer cinema classics. Queer cinema classics. Uh... And then my five-star movies, they're all just movies I love, so I just picked one that's beloved, Before Sunset. Oh, yeah. That is a movie that I love. All right. (laughs) One star. We've got Die Another Day. Yes, I've never seen I also it. almost chose Die Another Day as like, I hate this movie. It's fucking bad. But you know what? I think about it and I smile. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, two stars. I don't know why there's two stars. It probably should be three. Rocky three. Really? No, it's not very good. Rocky three is kind of bad. Okay. Uh, Wait, know, which one does Rocky star. three remind me? That's the one with Mr. T. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's just okay. But like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, two seems kind of low. I don't do half stars, so it's like two or three, you know? Um, right. Number three. I also think this is kind of low, uh, but I'm not going to rewatch it because I don't want to be mummed out. Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> um, I love that movie. 
Number four, uh, I only saw this last year, uh, or maybe it was the year before. Time kind of compresses lately. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. That's a good movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and then number five, um, I mean, you know, it's just one of the best movies ever made. Uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Hell yeah. That's just true. That's just fucking Five star film. Make sure you watch the uh, the original ending. The, <laughs> the part where I watched the wrong ending, I was like, oh, it, was, it was perfect until the last five seconds. I don't know what was up with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, those are mine. Thanks, Nora, for that. Yes. Um. All right. Uh, Burger Bob writes in. Oh, so our question of the week uh, was this one was hard because you did not give me exact wording. So I had to keep like trying to figure out how to posit it but it was like oh, what's your favorite sorry. movie that you like despite its cultural reputation that's basically what the question was uh yeah i forgot when i was posing the question and then we had to write it down and put it on a tweet yes uh, i will be exact in my wording in the future <laughs> yeah. um anyway uh burger bob writes in saying uh oh specifically uh, before that says uh i knew what scott pilgrim was before i saw it uh but i had a lot of friends who did not and so I took a bunch of friends to see it for the first time and uh, watching people react to it was a delight. Uh, good, Cause I think we'd asked on one of them who's who have you ever seen, did you see Scott Pilgrim without knowing what Scott Pilgrim was? <laughs> I think it was last episode of this. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the answer for question of the week was the departed people rightfully don't like this movie and rip the Academy uh, for not awarding Marty for any other movie, uh, but it's what got me into movies. I had an amazing English teacher in my freshman year of high school who would talk movies with me and recommend I see this. I credit her with steering me away from things like Boondock Saints. You know what? I'll watch The part over Boondock Saints any goddamn day. I was about to argue because this part of fucking sucks. Uh, but there's, no, there's nothing you can say to it. it got me into movies. You're like, well, yeah. Yeah, you, know. no, yeah, you, can't, you can't argue with that. I also love uh, stupid Boston accents and everyone's over the top performances. I mean, to be fair, when I first saw The Departed much earlier in my cinematic journey than like when you saw The Departed, Jackson, I thought it was well, perfectly yes, fine. Yeah, like six months ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would not bother with it now, but you know, it happens. Um, that's fine. You, you literally can't, whatever movie got you into movies is a, is a beautiful movie. I'm glad it exists because that uh, everyone's got one. And mine was Kill Bill volume one. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I was always kind of into movies. My other one is Memento. So, you know, it's one of those two. And yeah, you know, I still like both movies. So I'm thinking about mine, like pivot movies and it's probably Rushmore. What do you, I guess? Good movie. Yeah. Uh, mine would be Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Uh, Hilver writes in, uh, I'm going to nominate Exit Through the Gift Shop. Uh, the <laughs> Describing Exit Through the Gift Shop, the Banksy, is it real? Is it fake? Blah, blah, blah. Makes it more difficult to recommend as just an uh, interesting story about a weird guy, which is true. Exit Through the Gift Shop. I still like the movie a lot. I agree with this list, this one. Um, I don't think Exit the Gift Shop even uh, like rates as one of these to me i'm like who's out here being like exit the gift all the exit the gift shop fans are outrageous no one's talking about the movie but like banksy is a joke of a yeah, banksy figure. is a joke don't get me wrong that's true but exit the gift shop's still pretty good uh and then uh four streets of fire what's your favorite instance of seeing a baby-faced version of an actor oh uh susan sarandon and rocky horror is pretty great that's She's a good one got those big eyes that is a good one uh, when Jason Satham showed him the one, that was that was bewildering. I was like yes. literally off back footed by that. <laughs> that one's really funny. Yeah. Um. Oh. Uh. Lawrence Fishburne in um. Uh. Apocalypse Now. God. Right. He's yeah. A, he's a literal teenager in that movie. Oh. Um, <laughs> I was like thinking about how time works. I'm like, hang on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. That was damn. That. Yeah. Man. <laughs> 
Um, Aiden writes in with an answer. Uh, I love American Psycho despite everything. Yeah, me too. It's a good me movie. too. <laughs> I think I I was confused with this because I'm like I know American Psycho has like a bit of a meme reputation, but I feel like it's mostly just accepted as good. But I guess there are people who are like yeah, it kind of depends on where you hang out, right? Yeah, um, American Psycho was made critiquing the things American Psycho is about. It was not like as secret. You know, it's not like everyone's like done reclaiming reads of American Psycho. The only people who've done that are the people who actually like business cards. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but I understand it's like in the Fight Club bit. Fight Club also yes. critique is just not as good a critique yes. as. Uh, oh yeah, it's just not as good a movie. Like yes. yes. Um, Willow writes in. Um, mine for uh, is this has got to be the Mangler. Um, what? What is, cultural reputation is, does the Mangler have? So it's specifically. This is this this is the Stephen King adaptation, or it's just a movie about a printing press that kills people. Yeah, I, I've listened to and the Justin. It is that so, sounds yes. awesome. It's a really good movie. I, Willis, right? <laughs> this movie rips. Uh, but it's specifically about people's like jokes about King adaptations or King jokes about like, oh, it's about a lamp that is haunted, blah blah blah, sort of stuff. Um, and when you, a lot of people don't like it, King stuff, knee jerk. There's plenty of other reasons not like King stuff, but that should not be one of them. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just really good. Willis, just want to shout out. Uh, Little Streets of Fire so much. Watching Rick Moranis get bullied by a guy speaking around a whole mouthful of gravel. That's it. That's similar. <laughs> um, Ian writes in. Uh, I have two answers. One much more embarrassing than the other. First, Star Trek Six. Star Trek Six is good. That's just good. Good movie. Good movie. Good. I get it. Like, I don't know. It's one of those where it's like I get like you're. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna pick on Kim. Kim's a dear friend. I get to pick on Kim. No one else does. Again, if you're like watching Star Trek Six for the first time, the like part where like a huge part of the plot is a weird like long running action sequence slash joke about like trans panic, uh, might make you say Star Trek Six is a horrible film. Doesn't deserve the time of day. And I get that. Um, but I watched it in the '90s and it was fine. <laughs> I um, completely forgot about that. I thought you were going to say, say the part where it's all about how the Enterprise crew are like cartoon racist, not real yes, racist. They, to, they do have to grapple <laughs> with their deep-seated racism uh, and get over themselves to achieve a post, you know, post-Soviet world. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of weird things in Star Trek Six. It's still a really good movie, is the thing. Um, and yet, the Ian, thing I'm most mad about is the bit with the Klingon books. Her would know the language. Anyway. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, in second one, uh, far dumber is down periscope. <laughs> Which I immediately was like, oh, down periscope. I love down periscope. <laughs> I don't remember it, but I know I've seen it. Which it's one just one such movies, a goofy movie. One of those movies that could only be made in the 1990s before True Prospecting hit a fever pitch with 9 11. Um, <laughs> it, it is DOS boot by way of Police Academy. And yes. Uh, I have no idea why I think fondly of it beyond feeling like it accurately depicts the general population of the U.S. Navy as a bunch of colossal fuck-ups playing grab-ass with each other in a period where no one was worried about anything real. <laughs> it's generally regarded as terrible, made basically no money. Uh, and sometimes you watch something when you're 15 and think it's funny because your dad watches nothing but army uh, movies about World War II, usually involving submarines. Yeah, I, no. I Down Periscope was on cable all the time. I'm Googling this and I'm like, you know, this is a 90s comedy because you got like every schlubby guy in the world doing character bits and then an inexplicable hot woman is also in the cast in these screenshots. I assume <laughs> is, I'm assuming she's like new and transferred and is like going to straighten up all the boys or whatever because I've seen a 90s movie before, but I don't know if that's actually the direction it goes. Um. <laughs> so the thing is, uh, so the plot of this is Kelsey Grammer is like up for up to be a captain 
um, of a submarine and really wants to, but he's kind of a fuck up. And he, he's like, he's like a, you know, he's like a maverick who does things against the book and everyone's like, well, we can't give him a submarine. He can't be trusted. So they give him a setup to fail war game where he has to take an old diesel powered submarine and pretend to blow up. Um, where is it? Um, Charleston Harbor. Like they have to go in and like, if you can, if you could do like you use this ship and fake sink these two cutting edge submarines or uh, we'll give you one. Um, and he gets a bunch of like ne'er do well losers or whatever on his uh, crew, but also gets Lauren Holly playing like the very like buttoned up officer who needs to yeah, learn I knew how it. to like unbutton herself <laughs> if she's going to make it in the Navy. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's just kind of like a fuck up sex comedy. Uh, it's not even the sex. Comedy. It's just there's a lot of lewd jokes about how she's hot and they're all a bunch of like horny sailors. Um, sex comedy by way of the like inertia of making a comedy in the 90s. Yes. Um, I watched it a ton of times. I haven't seen it since I was a child, and I liked it a lot. And they got hired in Stanton, William H. Macy, and Rip Torn in this movie? Yes. Yeah. Uh, specifically, uh, specifically, she comes in as part of a special program to see if women can be on submarines, because it's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never put a woman underwater before. <laughs> but yeah, Harry Dean Stanton's in this, Rob Schneider's in this, Bruce Dern's in this. It, like, it's stacked. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, it made I no money. Like, yeah, no, it's a huge failure. No one likes it. It's a movie that uh, people make fun of, and they're probably right to, but I bet it's also a good time. <laughs> um, there's a bit the, over the credits. There's like a whole thing of them. I think they're actually dancing to uh, in the Navy. Um, of course they are. The Why would they not song? be? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> anyway, um, that's it. Uh, next question oh willow sent us another email um i did countdown to love the song the sorrels sing in the bus at karaoke a while ago and that shit killed wow (laughs) which is awesome um jen writes in i've always had a soft spot for the reviled comedy airheads i've never seen this me neither it's weird because it's like an snl movie yeah it seems like a movie you would have seen i almost i just assumed you would have seen it i didn't even talk to you about it maybe it's due to the memories i made my family other than the merits of the film itself um when i little my brother and i once spent the summer putting on every night and falling asleep in the living room but i enjoy michael mckean and uh joe mantegas two put upon radio staffers plus unlike most you couldn't make this any more comedies conservatives love to try it out you really couldn't make a modern comedy about a rock band taking a radio station hostage with spray-painted squirt guns which is the plot of airheads i did know that i briefly got confused i was like getting airheads confused with coneheads oh no me and destiny love coneheads coneheads uh, is a classic it's weird they didn't make a sequel yeah which is the movie where everyone's Kiati Mundi. Yeah, they're all they're aliens. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is much more normal. Um this falls into the um this falls into the uh jingle all the way category of movies about doing terrorism that it's that is funny. <laughs> Heartwarming terrorism. It's not, terrorism isn't real. Yes. <laughs> Yet again. Yeah. Um uh, that's a good one. I haven't seen that. I'd, I'd probably like it. Sounds all right. Uh, Zachary said, if you could have any movie reshot on a reduced indie movie budget, what movie would you choose? Reduced indie movie budgets. Yes. Uh, Logan. Like the X-Men movie? Yeah, you could do a lot with that. 
with okay. like a cheap, like a road movie. Well, it would just be literally the movie Logan, but with all the fucking bad scenes cut out. So I guess you're right. <laughs> it would you just be what? a right. really good movie. Wouldn't that be yeah. good? Yeah. It'd be like a 70s thing. Like, I guess that's what they were going for. But like, yeah, but then occasionally there's like budget. a stupid action scene. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah. I guess you'd cut those and the movie would be better. Yeah, cut, yeah. cut all that. Yeah. I mean, my answer is also this, to be fair. You're right. My answer is also this. My answer is Inception. <laughs> uh, on a similar line, I was going to say every James Bond movie made since 1996. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Inception is one of those. Yeah, it's not no, like officially it, one, not officially, but it's yeah. just one of those. That's, I'm counting that as basically the same answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, alternatively, if you could replace all the stunts in a movie with over-the-top Bollywood-style stunts, what movie would you choose? I mean, every movie. You gotta pick one drive mm. Ooh, that's a good one there's only man, like three like, stunts in that movie but i just my, my brain just went to drive i don't know no, that's a that's a good one i like that a lot Ooh, that is a really good one yeah damn i don't know if i could top that um old boy Ooh, <laughs> the yeah. spikely old boy specifically <laughs> <laughs> um shit what movie would I... For some reason, I skipped over this question when I was answering all the other ones, and I, uh-huh. so I don't have an answer offhand, but let me think and I'll get back. Okay, we're going to move on to our last question then. Uh, these are from Tron. Uh, favorite song in this movie? Is anyone got anything other than Tonight I Was That Needs to Be Young? I mean, I prefer uh, Noah Fast, but oh, okay. I like both of them a lot. They're both good songs. I'll probably go back and forth. The thing about Tonight uh, Is What It Means to Be Young is um, I don't think it's like a good song. Um, like out of context in the no one would ever write this song for any other version of like life than to be the final five minutes of a movie because it's like what if you made the entire song out of the outro yeah it's like a piano intro and the rest of the song is just the bit that's meant to play over the last bit of a montage but for five full minutes (laughs) yeah that's why it's sick (laughs) oh i have an answer to the action question it's just a fast and furious oh yeah yeah, it would be better it'd be better Ultraviolet. <laughs> Did like we a whole answer? genre of bad action movies that would be better. Yeah. <laughs> Did we answer our own question? No, for we're gonna ourselves? Do that. We're gonna do that. Okay. Don't worry. Alright, sorry. Um who do you think has the best outfit in this movie? Oh. I hate Willem Dafoe's wardrobe. I'm gonna go on record as saying that. It I'm pick- I was me. picking him. I'm picking the I'm picking the later <laughs> hose and nothing else. <laughs> so I fucking knew you funny. Would. I hate it. Um, I like Again, EG Daily's uh, outfits. Uh, yeah, I, I, everyone was kind of like, you know, they all fit their cliches well. I, well, and Defoe's obviously killing it the most, just wearing the most ludicrous clothes possible. Uh, the answer is actually everyone except uh, Michael Parry, because in addition to being uh, like a bad actor, they've also saddled him with the worst costume of all time. Why? Where do you get those suspenders? He's a soldier. Not a, he's not. He's not like a fucking miner. <laughs> the, thing, the thing it reminded me of is the way that being a fighter was depicted in Norco, which he played for a normal mapping. <laughs> yeah. When he takes off his shirt and he's like doing the cool guy action yeah. thing where he's got the suspenders. Yeah. It's like, what What do you, what do you come, what happened? <laughs> well, wars have not happened yet. <laughs> um, what's your favorite looking movie or television show that mixes up the aesthetics of different time periods like in this film? Well, hmm. I don't have a good answer for this because um, it's almost always 50 stuff, which I usually don't like. Um, I'm going to say Futurama. Futurama's good at it. I like Batman the Animated Series. Oh, that's a good one, actually. That's, that's a good, a good one. Pick. That's a good yeah. one. 
I, it's you're right. I, w- I wouldn't have even considered it because I just yeah, you know, the Art Deco look. But you're right. It is. It, I just I just forget about how time yeah. works when I look at Batman the animated series. Yeah. Cause I just think that's Batman the animated series. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's the coolest scene in a movie or TV show of cops being shot at or being hurt or killed? I'm like, well, officer, I can't answer that. <laughs> It sounds like a question a cop would ask you to throw you in jail. And the answer is Terminator, obviously. I like the scene (laughs) in Malignant at the uh, police station. That's a good one. Um, It's not real. They're not being shot at. But uh, I mean, the entire last 20 minutes of Blues Brothers. Come on. Yes. These are all these are all the answers that immediately came to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which might be the greatest 20 minutes in cinema history. I don't know if that's true, but I feel it in my heart. Yeah, it's up there. Um, Terminator 1. That's the best part of Terminator 1 is where he attacks that police station. Are you going to argue as a Terminator 1 fan? No, I, that's a good That's a good part of Terminator 1. I like Terminator 1 a lot. I don't, I don't have any... I'm only a Terminator 1 fan in the sense that I don't like Terminator 2. Yeah, out of your mind. <laughs> anyway, our question of the week was what is the movie you like despite its cringe reputation? And we have now we have to answer it. Um which can go in a lot of directions. Obviously this is meant to be the Fight Club slash uh American Psycho style answer. These are the obvious ones. Think of one that wasn't those. Um I'm gonna come on the record for saying I love Fight Club. I still love it. I don't care. I don't uh, really like Fight Club. I acknowledge that it's a better movie than my hater is, but I can't get over the fact that the, the fandom's kinda killed it for me. That is not my pick. My pick is a very problematic 1987 Gary Marshall classic bomb starring Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. I could watch it right the fuck now. Overboard. One of the worst Um, movies I've seen in my life. I hate that film. (laughs) I love this movie. I I don't know if it... I think it's just because it was a childhood staple. Like, I have no reason to like it. Like, it's... A horrible plot like he lies to this woman he gaslights her it, like you they tried to remake it or they've remade it a few times in other countries and then they remade it here in like 2018 uh and i don't know how that went but they like gender swapped it and whatever like who cares oh the original overboard is all about the charm of goldie hawn and kurt russell real life couple uh so it's just it's so watchable but yeah no it's it's, it's a gross movie <laughs> Oh, and my other choice was Waking Life, the Richard Linklater movie. Um, <laughs> I love this movie, even though it is it is very, like, white boy college stoner philosophy 101 movie, but my, I will watch it right now. My One of my best friends in junior high made me watch this movie um, after junior high. It was just like maybe late high school uh, it was like the, the second time i ever smoked weed and he smoked all the time he's like i'm gonna put on waking life for us and i was like that was okay i guess <laughs> <laughs> no i've seen it like a hundred times i love it so much and it's got alex jones in it which is like upsetting but when you're watching it in 2003 or whatever it's like oh he has some good points <laughs> it's also got um uh what's their faces from the before movies in it yeah julie delphi and ethan hawk are yeah in but like it's kind of like them but it's kind of like the characters from the movie it's really weird the way they're yeah pitched yeah it's that. either yeah it's it's really cool <laughs> um yeah that movie's all right uh jackson would you like to go next yeah i, I have a few um that i couldn't really nail down because they're they all tend to fall in the line of like movies i saw a while ago and it's sort of affectionate but they could they could be really bad yeah um uh 
one I know that probably is just a great movie is The Big Lebowski. That's just a good movie. I'm convinced. I believe that yeah. one is true. Coen Brothers. Yeah. It is a great reliable. movie. It is a great movie, but also the fandom has like ruined it, basically. Right, yeah. Yeah. But the lines are funny. I am the walrus. Yeah. yeah. Donnie, um, you are out of your element. <laughs> <laughs> it's Shut a good, the fuck it's a good up, movie. Exactly. Yeah. You see how people got so annoying about it. Yeah. Yes. Um, but then we get to ones where I'm like, I don't even know if you could rewatch this now, given you know other elements of it. But like when I was 18, I fucking loved LA Confidential. <laughs> Oof. I've never um, seen it. I'm not watching it now. So no, I no. never saw it. <laughs> Um, you know what? You should watch LA Confidential. Yeah. <laughs> I understand why reticence, uh, but uh, yeah, because in similar veins, it's like I really liked Chronicle when I saw it, right? And you know, yeah. more cancelled guys going down the list. It's weird. Um, there's, like, there's like some guys where it's like, if I was like, I'm not gonna put it in the work, right? Like, we're not right, gonna yeah. do a podcast about like Rosemary's Baby because fuck Roman Polanski. But like, I want Destiny to watch Rosemary's uh, Baby because I think it's like a, a good movie that has things to say and we could like talk about it together. Um, and I would I wouldn't have necessarily have problems with that, but I'm not going to watch a Woody Allen movie that even if that the same things are true. And Kevin Spacey's one of those guys were like, I would probably hold my nose and rewatch some Johnny Depp movies. But I'm not going to watch new ones, and I'm not going to watch Kevin Spacey movie period because just watching it makes me feel gross. But there's yeah. other guys where that's not true of, and it's just like these are the arbitrary lines people draw around stuff, right? I mean, the thing yeah, is, he's not really in that movie much. Okay. Um. Which is, I'm not I'm not sending anyone on it. It's fucking it's a weird movie from like the nineties that I'm sure is not as good as I as teenage me thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh but, but it, it got it's all those Oscars. <laughs> right. Um and I think the one for me that is probably the most true, which I don't know if it holds up now. Um and I've been punished I've been punished elementally for enjoying this movie. The last decade of my life has been a punishment specific the last decade of the entire world, I would say, has been a punishment for me really liking this movie in twenty thirteen. And that's James Gunn's super. Uh, i like that movie too a movie i just fucking adored when i first saw it it was deeply moving to me i thought it was incredible i was very sad teenager what do you want from me um and i just feel like i've been punished uh in every way by that opinion because you get to the guys galaxy volume 2 that's fucking terrible it is awful movie it's a bad movie um james gunn also should never be should have been forced you know why is he directing fucking million dollar nonsense? Direct some fucking. Now he's not. Well, I mean, I guess he is, but he's mostly in charge of trying to like fix DC, which is not a fixable problem. So. He is writing and directing the next Superman movie. I know, but part of that means having the grand vision for what the DC universe is going to look like, and I don't think anyone could solve that, much less James Gunn. Uh, I, I think any. I think I. I think anyone could solve it. I don't think they will agree with you for a long enough time period for anyone to like enact their solution. Yeah, fair enough. Because um, that's the, you know, I, any one of us, me, you, anyone listening, could make a decent DC movie plan that if you just stuck to it would be fine, and they just can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you make the you put Batman in the movies. It's not hard. Yeah, fair enough. Um, is that all your answers? Yeah, those are the main ones. Um, okay. Fair enough. Um. I, uh, my main one here, um, is, uh, is one that I recently risen and I was like, man, this is really good actually, but it does have a reputation where I understand where no one on earth would ever want to watch it. Um, which, uh, is of course, Chasing Amy, Kevin Smith classic. I love that movie. <laughs> yes. I, I almost showed this, but I thought it would show up for you. It's fraught. <laughs> it's definitely capital F fraught. Yes. 
Um, me and Destiny watched it like last year, right? Something like yes. that. It was, it's really good. It holds up just fine. And I think about that line, what's a Nubian every day. <laughs> every single day. I think about that um, line. Yeah. My, my... I, I think it's really thoughtful about the things it's about. Is Kevin Smith trying to navigate having gay friends? That's literally what the movie is. <laughs> Yeah. Having gay my- friends and also being intimidated by like a woman having a sexual past. Yes. Uh, my enduring memory of the movie is the solution that Ben Affleck comes up with is so deeply embarrassing, but like yes. spot on for what a certain kind yes. of yes. guy would think. Like, yes. I found it. I've solved interpersonal conflict. I'm, I'm going to enact the solution right now. I'm watching that fall apart because it's the worst idea anyone's ever had. <laughs> um, uh, I remember that it's scene like, just being it's really nuclear good. cringe. I can barely look at it. Like yes, thinking no, about it makes you upset. So I yes. genuinely couldn't watch it again because of that scene. Uh, yeah. But I remember like that feeling very honest to being a shitty guy, which I was in 2012 in many ways. Um, not um, like that, but you know, yeah, related a lot to Kevin Smith movies once in my time. Yeah, that's fair. I my uh, my like the fandom's really bad about it, but I still like it. Is probably like Monty Python, the Holy Grail, which I still we don't know. Whole... We can't say for sure. Look, we cannot I say for still sure. Will it's... quote bits of Monty Python, the Holy Grail, yeah. in my heart. I, I remember I that like, movie like it's... clearly enough that I think I just know that it's good to me. It's Generally, still good. I agree. I want to agree, but I'm just saying that we have evidence. We have evidence in this podcast. We don't know. We don't know for sure. <laughs> um, I guess maybe the one that I do like. I've I've always been kind of defend like defend. I'm not going to defend it. Um, back when Family Guy was a canceled show, I watched all of Family Guy and really liked. And now it. it's a canceled show. I know, but like when Fox canceled it, it was famously like a show people wanted back because it was a good comedy, unlike The Simpsons uh, at the time. <laughs> um, or whatever. History's fools. Um, I watched all of it and I fucking loved it. Um, and, uh, I'm still really fond of a lot of the, those early family guy jokes. So I've not watched it since it come back basically at all. Um, but there was a time in my life where I was like, yeah, I love family guy. Um, they, they never should have canceled it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember these days. Yeah. I was also this person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, that's all of that. Uh, I hope that answered your question, Jackson. We're all yeah. cringe deep down. That's so true uh destiny i don't know what you got cooking for us so it's time to reveal do you want the movie or the question whichever makes more sense i know you said they weren't related so they're not um so let's do the question first my question of the week for you all is what's your favorite movie directed by an actor turned director Ooh. okay but they don't have to be in the movie no. no, they just have to have directed it, and they've yeah. had to have been an actor first. Yes. But, like, they have to be a prominent actor, right? Like, it's not like Shane right. Black like, was, you know, exactly. in roles. Well, they don't have to. Like, if, if you... If you yeah. If the but, only thing you can think of is Shane Black, that's on you. you can I wasn't it. saying Shane Black. I was just trying to go for, like... The well, rare person who is a director like, but took early acting gigs? I don't know who that is. The it's most really obvious... Just Shane Black. Like, the best example I could think of off the top of my head was Clint Eastwood. So, like, you know, like, people like that that just go, you know what, I'm going to direct a movie, and the movie's turned out pretty good. Which one's your favorite? I actually have a few answers for this, so I'm really excited to hear what everybody responds with. All right. And then for our movie next time, we're going to watch 1987's uh, With Nall and I. Oh, I don't know what this is about. I just know of it. British movie. British people movie. It's British as hell. It's British people movie. I've never seen it. You'd think I've seen it. it, but I've never seen it. In it, yeah, mate. 
Um, <laughs> it's really funny when I do a British accent. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really cracks me up. Cheeky bit of British accent. <laughs> I don't know anything about this movie. I've always assumed just from the poster it was about music, but I don't think it is. So I don't know why I thought that. It's not about music. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know much about it either. I just kind of picked it on a whim. So we're going to we're gonna dive into this together. All right. Um, I'm excited for that. Uh, it's plug time. Destiny. At Fridge Buzz Now on the internets. And um, my other podcast is Battling Girls, which is on abnormalmapping.com slash Battling Girls. Jackson. You can find me at Headfalls Off on Twitter.com and on co host uh, and anywhere else that I might be. You can find me uh, on the oh, podcast of Abnormal. Your TikTok, TikTok.com slash I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to join TikTok. <laughs> That's the one thing you can promise. You can put that text to the bank. I'm not joining TikTok. Uh, unless it's like suddenly becomes integral to my job and i'll be so furious if it is i'll <laughs> suck at it i can't do that last possible resort um i'll start i'll be making video essays before i make tiktok things jesus anyway uh you can find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com uh cool podcasts you can find me on twitter at em underscore being on coast at em dash being oh we updated the uh letterbox list that's on jackson's letterbox that's letterbox.com slash headfalls off right i assume that uh, might not so go true. to it, but if you that, search that, for that, there is a list there that is all the movies. If somehow that's how you want to track our movies, you can. I think you can just follow that list, right? Yeah, reference screenings. Yep. Um. So check that out. Um. You first uh, listen to Around the Long Fire, which is me and my friend Neve of Ornate Stairwells fame every Wednesday talking about Icelandic sagas because that movie or that podcast is about 20 to 30 minutes of anime and movie talk at the end of every episode. So if you want just more of that, uh, we're always talking about some shit that people who like this podcast would like. Um, That's so true. <laughs> so, so listen to that. Um, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash mapping. For $1 a month, you get The Great Gundam Project. We're about to start uh, Gundam Seed Destiny and Aura Battler Dunbine in our new season. That's going to be really fun. Uh, we're going to have a lot of guests like we did for our last seed season. It'll be great. For $5, you get Blockbusters, where me and Jackson sit down once a month and talk about a ho- Hollywood film, break down its script and its ideologies. Um, last month we did uh saturday night fever i guess that was for this month it's still december uh and that saturday night fever is really good uh you should oh. watch it you should listen to that episode uh, i will just then, say this uh my mental image of both movies before i saw them you can count them as reversed for like the realities of streets of fire and saturday night fever <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah fair enough um and uh we're about to do um treasure planet the disney movie that's disney Ooh. Right? I yeah. don't remember. Um, and uh, for ten dollars, you get VoIP Life, where every two weeks we sit down and kind of goof off. We recently had an episode with our plans for next year, um, not like fully laid out, but we were just talking through what we want to do, especially like our uh, podcast and we're mapping in your uncle's beach house. Um, but it's good. Um, people like VoIP Life. There's a lot of movie episodes in there. Um, we don't always talk about movies, but it comes up more than often than not. Um, and that's everything. Thank you so much for everyone who supports us. If you like this podcast, tell your friends, of course. Um, sh- retweet the plugs. That would be very helpful because uh, th- this is one of our lesser listened to ones. And I think it's, especially lately, we've been fucking killing it um, with this podcast. It's so, a lot uh, of yeah, fun. We, we went and made that. Uh, we, we updated the letterbook list. And we're like, you know what? Nothing but bangers. These, these are almost all good movies. You got yeah. a couple bad ones in there. Um, but... 
we have to we have to start discussing what we're going to do next year when we hit episode 100 if anything we don't have to do anything but we maybe should um well, i'll have to think about what we'll have to do hoop dreams <laughs> <laughs> it's only for you destiny i just hear just i hear good things about <laughs> I, it's critically acclaimed anyway until next time movies now more than ever don't expect to like them